0: Alert Medic One respond. Box Area 19-1. You're listening to the Alert
1: Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner. medic one podcast my name is Mustafa Sadiq today I'm really excited to have two guests with me Uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, the topic of crisis peer support first responder mental health Uh, and my first guest that I'd like to introduce is uh, Captain Ray Gill. Ray do you mind introducing yourself? Hi I'm Ray Gill, uh, Captain Baltimore County Fire Department assigned
2: to Station 5 the Hale Station, uh, Charlie Shift.
1: Cool. Thank you very much. Give us a little bit of background. What'd you, what'd you do? Where'd you start out in the fire service? What do you do now?
2: Okay. Um, started out as a volunteer, I guess, coming up on about 30 years ago here in Baltimore County. Um, rose up through the ranks there. Uh, you know, obtained my fire certifications. Was a paramedic, um, I think, uh, since 1995. Had my ALS credentials. So, uh, served in positions such as... Um, Firefighter, paramedic, Tillerman um, as a FADO, and then uh, promoted as uh, EMS lieutenant, and then went back over to fire, so I was a fire lieutenant, and then uh, promoted to captain a little over a year ago.
1: Great. Thank you. Uh, next, I have Fred Rydell. Fred, do you mind introducing yourself?
0: Sure. Hi. Fred Rydell, captain of County Fire Department. 27 years between career and volunteer. 21 years career. I'm currently the captain of Station 5. Wall Chapel station and like Captain Gill here have come up through the ranks both on the volunteer side and on the career side as well I was firefighter driver lieutenant and now currently a captain
1: cool thank you so I mean I'll, I'll tell everyone how uh, you know so I joined uh, the Arbutus volunteer fire department and that's how I met both of you guys and I had the benefit of seeing you guys already as senior you know leaders in your field Right. And as someone who was brand new to the field, uh, I was already really excited to get into the field of EMS. I had no idea uh, the mental health side of things. Right. And that's something that I think we're going to talk about. Uh, but that you come to the quick realization of how uh, how intimate of a part that is of uh, any anyone in the fire service. Uh, so the reason the idea came about is, uh, Fred, and you can talk a little bit about the article. If you d- if you remember the uh, you shared an article about uh I forget the title of the article. We could probably post it in the show notes. Uh, But I remember one line uh, that the writer talked about was, uh, they don't tell you how it feels when you break ribs for the first time. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, Fred, you want to talk a little bit
0: about about that? It was uh, an article, and shared it on Facebook, and basically the intended article was it was to five things or ten things. I can't remember the exact number, but it was a multitude of things that they don't teach you in recruit school. And, Like you just said, one of the things is breaking ribs. Um, You know, we run multitude of calls through the years and you see a lot of different things and you go through a lot of different things and you experience a lot of different things. So as you're going through these different things and you're processing these different emotions through the years, um, it all relates back to, you know, everybody has a first day in the field. And that first day in the field, um, unfortunately, they, especially 25, 30 years ago, Mental health was not a big topic and it was not something that was widely talked about or preached. You kind of came in, did your shift, and at the end of the shift, you went home. Uh, When I went through recruit school, basically it was you know, we have, we can get you help if needed if you see something traumatic. And that was about the extent of what we were told at the time. A lot different nowadays, thankfully. uh, And we've come a long way in the field and we've made a lot of progression to get people the help that they need so it does these things don't linger and ultimately i mean unfortunately for some people you know they're 35 40 year careers and then they're home and there's a trigger and something reminds them of a traumatic incident or traumatic event that they experienced and it can create a lot of you know issues for for personnel long term down the road so um that was the intended article Is basically, you know, five, 10 things that weren't taught to you in recruit school. And it was just some different things that were laid out for you. Like you said, like breaking ribs and just some things that you see that they'll never tell you that they didn't tell you about in recruit school, but nowadays they probably do tell you about in recruit school.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's, um, that, that's actually a valid point. I just spoke with their recruit class in Baltimore County, uh, as a representative from our peer support team. And um, that was a topic that we brought up. Not everyone comes to us with backgrounds. Uh, Some have volunteer backgrounds, uh, some coming from the military, Um, but most most may not have any background, so that first time they actually do CPR, and they crack ribs, it's a distinct feeling. So it's something they remember, something uh, they don't know if, you know, was right or wrong, and uh, just that feeling, it, it kind of lingers on with them. So um, I think as officers it's important for us to reach out to our new folks and all that, and um, you know, after calls. And I, that's what led to me getting into the peer support side was doing that as an officer um, when I became an officer years ago. But, um, you know, in addition to that, when you talk about things, we have a lot of military folks coming now. So just like years ago in Vietnam, um, we got a lot of medics. We had an influx of medics from my understanding. Now we have a lot of folks coming, Iraqi and uh, Iraq and uh, Afghanistan um, veterans that are coming to us who have seen a lot of things. And one of, uh, one of the situations that I recall was someone seeing someone out in front of the engine house Hit by a vehicle and seeing that person fly from that traumatic experience triggered an event that took you know that brought him back to when they were serving in the army so um those trigger points as fred spoke about are, are quite profound when uh you know when they come about so seeking the help getting them through that getting them through the process and all that which we can i'm sure we're going to touch base on is super
1: important so, can you guys get, provide me a glimpse of when you start when you all feel that the change started? Uh, so, both of you alluded to the fact that when you all started in the fire service, there was not this positive attitude, or maybe there was a neutral attitude towards mental health. Uh, can both of you provide you know, in your minds when did that transition happen? Was it a slow transition? Was it a or was it a, a quicker you know event? Uh, yeah,
0: I would say that it probably would have to be more of a quicker event. And I would say it's probably within the last five years where it's really taken off. Um, you know, there's been a lot of hot topics in the fire service. Um, cancer was one and still is. And I think mental health, a lot of people were having a lot of emotions, experiences. And I think we finally got leadership to realize that, hey, leadership in the fire service, nationally and internationally, to realize that, hey, this is a Major issue, major concern. Um, you know, I think that there there seems to have been that shift within the last five years or so. I would have to say.
2: Yeah, I would think so. I, I believe it was two thousand and fifteen suicide deaths and fire and EMS surpassed line of duty deaths in in all aspects. You know, whether it be cardiovascular or, or uh, you know fire ground incidents, stuff like that. Um, I think it was an eye opening experience for a lot of folks. Um, I, just recently, you know, our, our new fire chief, uh, Chief Ron, um, came to us from Harris County who had a robust peer support program. I mean, really large peer support program. And we work closely with a lot of those um, members of the team. But um, since she's been our chief, we have changed from – we've always been a peer support team, but the whole meaning – Of uh, the critical incident stress team, stress management, we've shined away from that. It's a portion of what we do, but we find ourselves doing more peer support than we do anything. So now we're doing um, touches, as we call it, just checking in with folks um, after significant calls, depending upon what the mechanism may be or something. Um, Also, we um, we do station visits, you know, and and I'm sure like each county has a team, you know, locally. When we're talking in the Baltimore metropolitan area. But uh, it's really it's taken off, and as we've seen, you know, throughout the years, on an average, 100 to 150 suicides, suicide deaths nationwide, when it comes to fire and EMS.
1: And I will say uh, this is a good time to kind of describe our you know ge- our geographic location. So uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know so that we're in the state of Maryland on the Eastern Shore of the United States. Uh, but Baltimore County and uh, Anne Arundel County are uh, around the Baltimore City area. Uh, and uh, on the periphery and they, they themselves major you know uh, metropolitan career departments that work very closely with volunteer departments uh, those volunteers uh, in both of your jurisdictions uh, to uh, correct me if I'm wrong respond to the same calls respond to the same uh, emergencies that uh, their career counterparts do and uh, more than more often than not have the same training requirements uh, because and the reason I may make that clear is because that may is not the case across the nation and definitely not across uh, you know the world where some of our listenership is so you all mentioned that about five years ago you all saw this transition occur um, can you all describe when you all personally came to the realization of the importance of and don't go into any specific calls or anything like that but more so in a general sense in your careers, how, how long did it take uh, for you to r- uh, realize just how
0: critical this peer support system was? So for me, I attended a, a seminar a few years ago um, through Maryland Fire Rescue Institute, their chief officer seminars, a yearly seminar. And they usually have the hot button topics, if you will. And firefighter suicide and, and mental health was, was one of those topics. So they had a chief there uh, who had come in from a small department in Illinois, and his son had an opioid problem, and his son had committed suicide, and he felt like he let his son down, um, and he also wanted to do something for his firefighters, and he didn't want that he, – he never wanted anything to happen to them, so he wanted to be there, and his son passing away was kind of the catalyst for him to really take a, an an active interest in mental health so he had so real quick if i can i'll just talk about one of the things that he talked about at the seminar it was it was very inspirational very motivational so he had an employee who a firefighter who in the last you know at the time 6 months a year um, had really his performance had slipped he was very short fused very angry so he got into like a confrontation at the firehouse um, the next shift he doesn't show up for work so something clicked in the chief's mind and said and it was a set of, he says it's his son talking to him his son said to him go to the house because in his mind he wanted to th- he wanted to you know go right to the harshest discipline, whether that was suspension or or firing the guy, whatever it was with the department. he didn't do that something clicked in his mind, and he went to his house. He took police officer with him, they went to the house, and the guy was he was a firefighter medic, and the guy was there, and he walked in and he he the gentleman's there, and he's holding a load of thirty eight to his head, and the guy was like thank God you're here. And he's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, what's going on? And the chief said to him, you know, what's, what's, what's the problem? What's going on? So evidently, this, this firefighter medic, every time that he would transport a patient and the patient would die, he essentially was blaming himself. And he would literally take his own leave and go to the funeral of the person who had died, who he had worked on. Right? So clearly well, we all want to be there for – as a human being, we want to be there to support people. That was a little bit over the edge and over the top. Right? And it affected him and his job. So the chief said there was a couple questions he had for him. Will you come with me? Will you accept help? And the guy said yes. Um, they got him the help. Unfortunately, he – was he. it was just too traumatic for him, and he ended up having to to leave the career field. However – he saved the guy's life that day because the guy, it, he clearly Not meant it him that he was going to kill himself, okay? So, and it was all, had related back to his son, and he said it was his son that day that had clicked in. Um, very, I can't tell the story anywhere near as good as, as this gentleman can. He wrote a, a couple books. Um, I actually purchased one of his books and, and read the book. And, you know, it was kind of that that hit home to me, and, and, and he gave a, a pretty startling statistic, and he said that you're going to... One out of every two people in this room is going to be affected by some sort of traumatic event in their lifetime or they're going to have a large amount of stress or whatever it may be. They're going to have a mental health issue. So you start to look around and you're thinking one out of two people. There's four people at the table. That means two out of four, you know? So it's like it just really gets you thinking that ultimately – Somebody – several people in this room are – because it was rather large audience, several people are going to have a mental health crisis or even if it's a very minor mental health crisis, they're going to have that where it may come back to haunt them 20, 25 years from now. And when you start to really sit back and think about that, that's huge. So –
2: I think we're in a better place today than we were when we both first, first started. I, I think you'd agree, uh, right, Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and even Moose, you know, you, you've been around for a few years. You, you've seen it. Um, when we first started, the last thing your peers wanted to hear was you whine about a call. It just wasn't cool.
1: And, that, and that's very well within my – when I started in 2014. And that yeah, was, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've really
2: – we we've kind of come away from that stigma of reaching out. Um being a bad thing, and we're stressing how good it is because you could save a friend's life. Um, you know, often folks don't want to reach out for help because they're afraid of the perception and what their peers will think of them because in our business, we are, we're rough. We are, you know, there's, uh, there's kitchen rules and you learn a lot from the kitchen and the firehouse. But make no mistake, um, when it comes to mental health, um, it, it's not a career, a volunteer issue. It's it's a provider issue, and and many many are affected by this. And it could be anything from breaking the ribs, um, previous history, growing up where you grew up. If you had someone in your family who was assaulted, murdered. I mean, we're living, um, you know, in in. Uh, some different times, and and people are exposed to more trauma growing up in in, um, in their child life than they were maybe years ago, and especially here in the Baltimore metropolitan area, we see a lot of it. So um, you know they're coming to us already with backgrounds and history, and you know um, traumatic experiences and all that. So that trigger point could be anything you know it could be something very minute or it could be you know years on a job and they're just storing it away storing away until something really clicks and it it affects them but um i think in the last couple years like we keep stressing we've come great strides um like uh, you know me and moose were just talking for it till valhalla is a uh, military sponsored um, clothing line and i just purchased a shirt uh, that is for mental health uh, or mental health awareness shirt. And it's, um, you know, it, on the back, I, what did it say? Uh, break the stigma, you know, with the green ribbon. And, um, I, and, you know, I was so proud to wear that because I think that's the word we need to get out. to young, old, because what we found is it, it's, it doesn't discriminate whether it's age, gender, sex, religion, it doesn't matter. Everyone at some point is experiencing something throughout there or knows someone who has. So uh, I know a lot of peer support teams, like I said, we're, we're starting to train all of our officers to recognize um, the changes in our employees. Uh, you're the first line of defense. You come to work, and the guys usually, the guy or uh, young ladies usually out there checking out the rigs, checking out the medic unit, and instead they come right in and they go right into the TV room. It's just not their norm. So we're seeing something, or they're running late. They're not normal relief like they usually were. They're a little more quiet instead of jovial and all that at the kitchen table like we all are. So, I mean, you see those changes, and recognizing that really is getting ahead of it. And that's how, how we're, you know, pushing forward in, in Baltimore County. We're trying to, uh, you know, Chief Run has a plan with, um, with the help of all of our peer support team to uh, train all the officers first and then uh, go in and, and train, uh, from, the, from my understanding, the whole department. I know our new recruits are getting the stress first aid program. And uh, the chief, I, I know, Anaroto does that as well. Mm-hmm. So yes. they're really, and I think a lot of departments are moving towards that because it's such an issue. I know we've experienced um, three suicides in the last three years. So I mean, it's it's at home.
0: And we've had a few ourselves. And and you know, to put it in perspective, 27 years ago in a training class when I first started out as a volunteer, um, had an instructor stand up. It was kind of like you know for the new recruits and in the sense and in the volunteer system and had an instructor stand up and say rule number one, all people must die. Rule number two, refer to rule number one, you know? And that was the, tr I mean, literally that was the training that, you know, I mean, granted we got some other training obviously, but that from the mental health component part of it, that was, that was what was preached. Back then it was sound information though. <laughs> right, right. You, you took it and stored it. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, we've, we've had, uh, I mean, we've had peer support, uh, CSIM used to be called CISM team for a while, um, but it was hardly activated. And if, if it had to be a major, major critical incident to activate that team.
1: I remember the first time I experienced was, you know, right here at this, at, at, uh, we had a drowning. Uh, and uh, for the general attitude was that it was a burden, right uh to the point where we were all literally forced into the conference room to do a debrief that I'll be honest with you I don't remember uh and that that is one of the most traumatic calls I've ever had I remember afterwards uh I mean I don't want to go into too many details but oh. I slept I mean it was maybe One, two o'clock in the afternoon, I slept for about four or five hours. I was so exhausted. Um, Just like different things, different parts of that call that I would, and I didn't even understand what was going on until now, like years after. I would say I probably didn't fully process it until, uh, you know, I took the steps to, uh, process other trauma that mm-hmm. I've experienced in, in the, in the work. And, the, I remember, uh, like it was yesterday, the first time I did CPR on somebody, because the one thing that I remember thinking is, you know, in, in the mannequins, they don't have a heart. Yeah. Right. So the, when you, when you get through those ribs, um, uh, you, you feel something on the other side that you're pumping that, it, and then that's, that's the first time it clicked for me that that was the point of why we were doing it. Um, and then just different things with that call as well, and um, yeah, I mean, I I, I must agree. Uh, uh, I didn't live it that long. I think the mental health push came, as you guys said, rec- you know, recently. Uh, but when I started, it was it was definitely there. Um, and uh, it, it's interesting, it, it, that kind of leads into my next question for you all, from your perspective, and you kind of described already what Baltimore County is doing. Uh, what tangible steps can leadership take uh, for the the new folks that are starting? And uh, I want to stress that you know maybe in the, an organized training uh, system like a, like a career academy, they might have benefits that a volunteer system does not have. Mm-hmm. So, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that.
2: Well, I know uh, there are several networks or several networks that you, like the uh, what is it? The National Volunteer Council, mm-hmm. Firefighters Council. They now are on board and have things that are there to train, you know, volunteer, uh, firefighters, EMS providers for peer support. Um, you know, that, that would be a good Avenue, but I I think the biggest thing right now is when you have difficult calls, speak to your people, bring them together. What led to me getting on our critical incident stress team years ago when I was an EMS Lieutenant, uh, in a pretty hopping area of Baltimore County, um, we had a significant call that led to the death of uh, a traumatic injury that led to the death of a child, and um, what I seen there was some young young providers and some senior senior guys that I knew on the ladder truck that were there and that were uh, grossly affected. I mean, you know, when you like when you get hit in the gut and you lose that lose the wind and all that, and I mean, and you could just see it just emotionally and physically drained and we did everything we could but the outcome wasn't going to be changed and you knew that we knew that but um i i think at that point when we came back i thought it was huge we went back to the station after everything was cleaned up and um i put the equipment out of service spoke to the station captain and uh we talked about the call we talked about the events that led up to it and really it's important it wasn't important for me to talk about it it was important for them so at that point, just sharing whatever feelings that came up. And uh, it just so happened, one of the folks on our critical incident stress team, and I didn't even know he was on the team, came to me afterwards and said, hey, you did a great job with that. Have you ever considered? And I didn't even recognize, you know, I, I, I had never used them, uh, truthfully. Uh, you know, because, and, I, and I'm and i going back quite a few years ago, so I never, you know, I'm like, oh, oh Okay. If you think I'd be a good fit, but I embraced it, and here I am, 13 years later, 13 or 14 years later, and um, very much supportive. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm very into it, and that's why you know I serve on that that uh, team and and believe in
0: it. So, and everyone processes things differently. So, and it's like Ray said, you have to you have to look at each situation, and you have to talk to each person, you have to kind of feel out each person because everyone, like, said, everyone processes things differently. Um, some people process things at a different pace as well. You know, you come back from a call and it may not be the most appropriate time to to make a SISM referral or, or peer support, whatever your jurisdiction calls it. You may need to wait away. Maybe the next shift. It may be the next morning. It all depends. You kind of have to gauge the call. So, unfortunately, there's no hard and fast rule as to when you would activate you know a SISM team or, or a peer support team however I always subscribe to the rule of activate them when you think you need them you know if you think you need them like Ray said you kind of feel people out see their emotions see where things are going if you think you need it activate it you know it's a resource that's there um, there's a lot of other resources and, and I'm sure we'll get in and talk about those as we go forward. But, I mean, there's a lot of resources. So if you think you need them, activate them.
1: So I think it now's a good time. If you don't mind, I, I, if you have a list, I, I would love to start going through some of those resources.
0: So, you know, like in our department, I mean, there's a peer support team um, that you can reach out to and talk with. We also have an employee health services, um, the probably, employee assistance plan program. One of the biggest drawbacks with that is a lot of times is that they're not always equipped to deal with um, emergency services providers. A lot of times they're, they're basic counselors and I don't mean that as a knock on anyone because they, uh, they do great work. It's just that they're not used to dealing with or equipped to deal with first responders. So sometimes you, And we found that sometimes some of our employees don't always get, if it's, you know, a a situation that's related to a call, they don't always, if they go to employee assistance route, they don't always get that specific person who's trained to deal with first responders. Um, So, you know, and we have that. That's another avenue. Um, We also have the availability, um, like I said, I mean, our our biggest resource and our biggest thing that we activate is our peer support team. Uh, we've used them for several calls. And once again, you know, years ago it was the big calls when it was a SISM team. Now a smaller incident, like Ray alluded to, you know, you run a call and it's a couple units, um, they'll have some folks. We can activate our team, have some folks out there. We have, we have four shifts and we have people assigned on each shift. So our management, very supportive, will knock down units and get the people there to – to do the debriefing we mirror
2: almost exactly what fred is saying in baltimore county we have uh, four shifts we have um, shift leaders assigned team leaders assigned to each i'm in charge of uh, the the c shift which is shift i work on so i'm the first contact person and then we have people throughout the county that we would uh, dispatch to go to whatever call we do have automatic dispatches um, some of the more serious significant calls where they'll they'll ring down that station um, well, myself, and see if there's any need so we can touch base with them, just talk to the providers, uh, and then see if there's a need for a face-to-face. Um, we also do have an employee assistance program, but uh, not a lot of providers uh, handle, the, and that's the clinician side, they don't handle trauma uh, backgrounds. So um, we are lucky enough to have a physician that um, does do that, uh, that type of counseling and he actively does ride and will come out to the scene on our team um, as well so that that's beneficial to us and our membership um, both career and volunteer of course but um, we also and and the sad thing is that through the IFF the initiatives the International Association of Firefighters we've seen this need for peer support and crisis counseling and all that so when we all we are as peer support members, and, and I really want to stress that today because people think ultimately we have the, um, the ability to fix everything, and, and that is not the, not the case. We are the gateway, the gatekeeper. We recognize the need, recognize someone to be what we believe in crisis, and then we get them to, you know, the help that we feel they need. So the IFF started uh, with the Center of Excellence um, – which has been extremely beneficial and um a lot of our providers have uh um lived in their program and rave about it i mean you know because no one first of all you don't want to be open to someone who doesn't understand what we do in in this business i can't stress enough because that's
1: been my experience Uh, absolutely a couple times with you know different uh professionals i just you know it's uh you can't really explain to someone who's not a physician or something like that, the, the feeling you get when you miss a tube, right? Yes. Or, and then exactly. that patient ends up or any mistake um, mm-hmm. or, uh, and I, I don't mean to cut you off, but just like, you know, uh, it, it, if you don't have the like experience, in my opinion, it's just very difficult to uh, send home the message. And yeah. then you're trying harder to try and participate and try, you know, and then you end up realizing that it's just not going to yeah. happen. Yeah. But, sorry, go ahead.
2: No, no, I, you know, I, it's funny because what you're saying we're we're a different type of beast in this business we really are like i'm sitting over here and i'm trying to be professional you know across from my friend mustafa here and and fred and me know each other very well uh you know sometimes just a good laugh or a good cry is what our folks need yeah so when i get there you know i gauge gauge how everybody is and where they are in their mindset and um and it isn't always, you know, humor isn't always well-received in that. So you really got to gauge where everyone is mentally and all that kind of stuff. But um, the ability to break that down and normalize, rationalize their feelings and all that is huge when it comes to peer support. I, I think so. Like, You know, when I alluded back to the, um, the kitchen table where you get some of your best training and some other nonsense along with it, but... <laughs> Um, just talking about calls and getting things out and listening to everyone, it helps, it does, it soothes the soul, and I think it opens people up and it normalizes a lot of response. It's the folks that are changing their habits that aren't doing anything, um, and and you're watching that, and they're just not the same person. They're the people that you need to watch and get to definitive care. So, like the Center of Excellence, um, I have, you know, a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which I'll – I'll definitely pass on before we leave, but um that's huge to get someone online talking to someone immediately. That is um that that's where we save lives. That's where we make a difference. And that's what it that's what it boils down to in the end, is getting someone the help that they need as quickly and as swiftly as we can.
1: I want to make uh two comments. So the first thing about the uh, the kitchen table. Uh we had a member here pass away recently, and um I uh a lot of people don't know the story, but he was uh uh, when I first started here, within the first week, um, Ray, you, j- you joined with me, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, which is weird to say, but uh, I was there, w- the way that before the renovation, there was, a, the table was off to the right uh, because we didn't have a kitchen actually. And uh, there was a series of couches. And um, as a new person, I was extremely intimidated by these group of folks that were sitting at the table all the time. And uh, this individual was the one, the one that passed away. He, uh, he had a, a, a very important role uh in my career now because he came up to me in a very nice way he said listen if you want these people to get to know you you're gonna have to sit at that table and you know and uh not in those words but uh uh that that was the catalyst that got me to that table and uh you're absolutely right there's a lot of healing that happens at those tables mm-hmm. um and then the other thing uh that i wanted to say was you mentioned that uh, the the peer support is not the definitive care, yes. right? So uh, the the um, the similarity I bridge is to EMS, right? So mm-hmm. uh, we show up, we assess, we treat, but then we get them to definitive care, um, and I think that is one of the uh, uh, I think one of the really critical messages about this episode today is when you see a peer in crisis. Use the tools that you have accessible to you, whether you're a leader, right? Whether you're, you know, if you got brass on your shoulder or if you're, you know, a line fireman, line paramedic, line EMT. uh, Recognize the need and perform your duties to your, you know, brother or sister, but then uh, assist them
0: or do whatever you can to get them to the help they need. Absolutely. Uh, And circling back, I mean, the IFF Center has been good. I actually... uh, had two employees who, who work for me, who actually had to or not had to, but were referred there, and they do excellent work. Um, they, you know, I'm not sure if everyone's familiar with it, but they do have, like Ray said, they do have a living program. They also have um, a program whereby they may do outpatient work as well, and then they may also have a combination where someone may go in, and they're there, they're treated, released. and then they go into the outpatient program they do follow-up visits how's the cost work so that is for the IFF center of excellence is for anyone who um, is a union member of the IFF Um, so they their providers initially the person has they provide their insurance information and then from there it's worked out but it's the goal is, is to get people there, okay? So the the paperwork and the administrative a lot of times follows on at the end. Um, I've heard, I'm involved in our local, um, as an e-board representative, and I, I've heard stories that in a lot of cases um, some of these people, some of these folks are coming from all over the country um, in Canada come into the center and they're literally – Their IFF uh, local president is on the flight with them. They fly in, and they're literally, literally, um, some of these folks are so just, like, intoxicated in some cases, whatever the case may be, um, in such bad crisis that they literally, the president will get on the plane, fly in with the person, get them into the center, make sure that they get there. And then, of course, then that person, you know, departs for back home. The president departs or the representative departs for back home. But, I mean, that's literally a lot of very, very sick people go into that program. And they have a pretty good, they have a, not pretty good, they have a very good success rate um, at helping, you know, firefighters out. So, and we are local as well. We also have utilized some um more local resources. We have a couple of resources as well that we've actually had to refer um, some folks to, uh, to which I've been a part of and getting. And it's like Ray said, is the initial get them into the professional help as quick as you can. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of some of the cases I'm speaking about were were uh, alcohol related, but any kind of mental health, the the professional will tell you that we need to get that person in asap. Okay, so. If I can say anything to the listeners, it's, if you see something, kind of say something, not to be cliche about it, but literally it's the same thing, same scenario applies to the mental health. Uh,
1: I can't help but think back to what you all were talking about, you know, uh, when you all started in the fire service, which was, uh, you know, you just kind of were told to keep going. Uh, but the the metaphor, or the maybe the example I keep thinking of is, uh, you know, sure, you might scab over that injury, right? But that injury continues to fester. Mm-hmm. And, um, after you know a series of blows even it, quote unquote They may be minor blows after the number adds up adds mm-hmm. up adds up Um, there's a real physiological toll right uh, that that Um, that a person's body takes uh, the spikes in cortisol right spikes and other uh, uh, Stress hormones that are not natural Um, I, I know that when I went from shift work to not shift work uh, even the weirdest phone vibration would uh, wake me up and I would think I would have had a call, you know, just something minor nothing, oh, yeah. you know traumatic because mm-hmm. a lot of it's a lifestyle um, And then I, I can't imagine how many people we've lost early uh, After retirement, maybe five years ten years that you know, maybe could have had, you know, you know, there's a lot of maybes out there, but um, a y- years of uh, stress responses uh, for 48 hours a week Right. Uh, Which kind of leads me into the next question. And I know we're kind of adding up on time here. Um, What are some other things that we can do to promote a healthy work life balance? Right. Because let's be real, the nature of the job, um, you know, the shifts that we work, right. That's the reality of the job shift work will never go away because emergencies don't sleep. Right. But what are some strategies that you all can think of uh, that, you know, might help that issue. Uh, i i we, I spoke to a, a chief from Missouri, uh, and they were exploring a, a particular idea of call limits. Uh, and I, I know from the get go operationally, that's, that's not realistic. Right. Uh, but, hmm. um, and you all can listen to that podcast. It was a really good podcast on how they were going to operationalize it. And I'm not sure if it ever happened, but, um, it's almost like pilots in their hours. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's there's a top limit. And after that, Mm -hmm. they they're stopped and they can't fly anymore. Uh, I wonder if there's options like that. And I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that, because uh, something you uh, I think that if we only target when there's calls, right, whether it's small calls, big calls that are traumatic. I think if we don't look, take a a, like a like a higher view, right, and take a look at the lifestyle, both on the job, off the job, I think we're missing part of the picture
0: absolutely oh absolutely and, and and there's a lot of when we speak about mental health i mean there's a lot of subcomponents of mental health there's a lot of stressors which are starting to hit on now which are um you know ultimately over time they build up they build up they build up and then then there's some sort of critical event okay. yeah so there's the stressors that go along with that um it, it's I'm not sure that there's any one particular way because everyone is different and everyone needs to find that work-life balance. We do have a requirement that we cannot work more than 48 hours, okay, so. And we do have, I mean, it's like every department uh, that around. We have our people who want to work a lot and we have our people who don't want to work a lot and mm-hmm. they have, you know, for whatever reason, they have um, the reasons, they may have childcare whatever that may be and that's okay. Um, but sometimes, maybe it's each person needs to find that balance in their life. Whether they like to hunt, they like to fish, they like to go for a walk, um, whatever exercise. they exercise. Yeah. yeah, and exercise is a huge one because it helps to relieve. Uh, like you said, it helps with the cord It helps with a lot of different things uh, physically. So it's what I, I believe it's a lot of it is is what people need to find their balance, and sometimes. You know you, the old expression: "You can't see the forest for the trees." Sometimes people get so tunnel visioned or overwhelmed that they can't see that forest for the trees, and they can't find that balance. And sometimes I think that's where counseling is good and, pro- and professionals are good because they can kind of help the person focus in on getting that balance in their life. Because if you don't have the balance, you're just you're in a vicious, vicious cycle, and it's just going to continue forward until you get that critical event. Absolutely.
1: And even at a micro level, uh, I, I'm sure you remember this call, but uh, Fred was actually on the uh, the call where I pronounced my first person uh, deceased. And, uh, you know, you're describing at the mi- a macro level, but even at the micro level, having that level head, right, and describing, because, mm-hmm. I mean, for a number of reasons, that call, you know, was notable to me. Um, but, uh, the, the effect that you all have as leadership that has an understanding of what you all are seeing and what that means, I think, uh, it's a crucial. And I think the more and more we teach, uh, you know, younger folks who are into it, they can start seeing their peers, uh, you know, uh, have those effects and, uh, they can intervene. Um, so we've talked about a lot. Um, I wanted to make sure we address any other comments that you all had, I, I, just in case I missed anything on your guys' notes. No, no. You you know, you know, were speaking about uh,
2: – Freddie was alluding about having a good balance in life and all that. One thing that we really uh, didn't touch on tonight that I want to make a good point about is it's not always bad calls. Being on shift right. work, like you said, um, you know, I mean, who sleeps anymore? We get busier and busier. You know, the medics are on a street. 24 seven. So that's actually something I want to talk about. Yeah. Before we finish the the fatigue and all that kind of stuff is there. mood swings. Um, and then they go home and you know, or she goes home and then they got to care for their kids, care for their spouses, um, upkeep on their homes. They got to, and then they got to come back in like, you know, we work two 10 hour days followed by two 14 hour nights. So, um, the, the burnout rate is truly an issue but it's leading, you know, within fire, any emergency work, um, providers, fire, police, EMS, um, the divorce rates high, uh, you know, you see that substance abuse and all that kind of stuff. And the substance abuse is a late thing, um, but you definitely – and even though, even for us on the teams and all that kind of stuff, you have to stay vigilant and, you know, and just aware of when you have that limit, um, you know, and when to say – Hey, I've had enough. I uh, One of the continuing A classes I took, I think uh, believe, Mustafa, you knew um, Mark Junkerman. Okay, so he taught a um, a class, uh, you know, so in the class he spoke about um, himself and he spoke about how he was doing everything right. He was in good shape as a military man. He works in law enforcement, um, on a peer support team, says on the team and how he would go to the gym and put his music in and just run like a nut and lift until he did burnouts, until he, you know, just had muscle fatigue and all that. And really you need to think, is that the exercise that you're really good? Is that what is good for your mind? So what he found out in the story that he was sharing with all of us, um, you know, doing this research was that um, that's not healthy. You may think it is. But it's not healthy. You're just deflecting the trauma. Exactly. Else, yeah. Exactly. So you're going there and you're angry. And unfortunately, it cost him his marriage and all that. And he spoke about it. But it was a great class, I thought. So, uh, you know, uh, thumbs up, Mark Junkerman. That was a great program. I, I appreciate that class. Um, but now let me talk to you about yoga on the other hand now i am not a yoga guy yeah. like, I, you know i've you, tried it a you couple can look times. at this body yeah. and see <laughs> i I'm, I'm not a contortionist or anything like that but i do know a lot of folks that are into yoga and they find that very very um stress relief stress uh, yeah it, re- it relieves their stress calms them down puts them in a, a good state of mind and helps Get rid of some of that stress and all that. I know someone who participated in hot yoga, um, a good friend of mine, a good childhood friend of mine, um, Dan Nevins, uh, who was a staff sergeant in the Army, lost both his legs. He does Bagram yoga, and he travels across the country and does it for Wounded Warrior Project. Wow. And he raves about it. And I I truthfully believe that it probably saved his life.
1: That's somebody i got to get on the podcast, yeah.
2: Ah, uh, we we may be able to work that out. Yeah. So Dan, if you're listening, yeah, we got to get you on here because I, I I do. He does a great job. He really is, and um and he's got a huge following, huge following, and um and, and mainly in the military world, he he doesn't work in emergency services. He works full time now for Wounded Warrior, but um it has helped. I, I believe helped to put a dent in that twenty two a day that they suffer from. From, uh, you know mental health and suicides so
1: I, I think uh, what you're uh, what all of those the healthy actions uh, help with is mindfulness yes uh, because that is what has helped me uh, you know uh, the mindfulness allows you to uh, in your own way in your own speed process slowly through what you're going through and yeah. and i'm not saying that independent help is always the best help but what i'm saying is for me that anecdotally that's what's uh, helped uh whatever that may be now i'm not a yoga guy uh as you can tell i'm sure <laughs> uh but no myself I, as well <laughs> i can i can definitely appreciate that
2: now fred might be a yoga
1: guy. no fred, i'm not a yoga fred
2: either. does very well i was going to say fred was a big guy and has really tackled health and
0: uh, fitness and
1: has done that's well what i got to tackle next <laughs> uh fred did you have something
0: no i mean just as we wrap up here i would just say you know if one of the biggest things is if you're a supervisor or manager leader you don't even have to be a supervisor manager leader. if you're a coworker, you're around people and we all know that when we're around people we know if something doesn't look right like we said earlier if something's off like i said earlier say something do something, get them the help. You know, a lot of times people don't want help. That's one of the first things admitting that they need help. Okay. Um, So, but at least tell somebody, if you're not a supervisor, at least tell your supervisor because at least give them the opportunity to kind of vet it and see if there is a problem. Um, Kind of talk with the person. You know, sometimes some people don't want help, but secretly they may want that help they're just not going to tell you that they want
1: and they and they in that mindset they may not know right you know that that initial call i was telling you all about i had no idea until years after that oh yeah you definitely needed something and the visceral reaction i had against a cism debriefing was the sign that i needed a cism debriefing you know we've had more call outs
2: i think in the last few years when it comes as a result results to you know like um peer support, not SISM, because mm-hmm. um, we still do those with yep. a large incident or something like that. Um, but peer support-wise, we've had more people reach out, which means we're, we're coming great strides. We're definitely stepping in to the future where we need to be with it, but we're still not there. So one thing we stress with everyone is they may not want to talk to a specific person. So you could pick anyone on a team. Pick a peer if the brotherhood and sisterhood truly exist and fire an EMS. And I like to believe it does because I've, I've met some of my best friends in this business. I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely, uh, you know, my family's tied up in it like many of us. And, um, and I've, I've met some lifelong friends out of it. But reach out to anyone. We have people from other counties reaching out to our team members, and we've had our team members reach out to other county team members. So it doesn't matter who you talk to; it's just talking to someone. Recognize that you need help because alcohol, substance abuse, you know, um, marital issues, and all that kind of stuff, um, domestic violence, and all that—that that, that, that's almost past the time. We've really got to tackle that and prevent that, and that's what all this is about.
1: And a lot of it, a lot of the ownership, uh, I think, falls just like you alluded to, is also you know the departments themselves, too, right? Because, and uh, from a, I guess from a softer sense, uh, you know, society at large, because we have these folks that are dedicating their lives to sacrifice and service, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we the military absolutely deserves that due, right? But also our fire, EMS, our public service also deserve that due uh, because you are putting yourself uh, well these folks are putting the, their lives their families through missing birthdays missing all that which is also a component mm-hmm. of this trauma absolutely um i know we are finishing up i just want to say one more thing i mean during this pandemic right we can't talk about this topic and not talk about the burnout from this pandemic yes um from various different levels the f- very early on we thought that there was a this pandemic this pathogen was going to be a lot worse and people were sleeping in their garages because they didn't want to mm-hmm. get their family sick mm-hmm. right uh, that trauma is not going to go away tomorrow right mm-hmm. um, and we uh, you know uh, and especially you know in general folks that are talking about this need to I think part of that uh, the steps moving forward is recognizing the long-lasting trauma that is going to occur out of this um, I think that's a topic for another day um, Absolutely. but uh, yeah no seriously uh any any last comments from no i'll
0: just say and you talk about long lasting um we actually had a call recently where it was a husband and wife were both um fire department employees in two different counties um and the one of the the people was is dying has cancer um and it came on rather quickly um where it was diagnosed rather quickly and has the person has really deteriorated downhill. So the other spouse called and was a paramedic now retired and just did not know what to do and admitted that I just don't know what to do. And the 911 call was really just a cry for help. Okay. Um, the person was already in hospice. So the 911 call was just a call for help to say, Hey, can you guys help me out? So we did, we reached out, um, to that union and said, Hey, um, what do you have? And we were able to get, you know, that person some help. So it's just little things like that, that go a long way. And you don't have to be a member of a, a, you know, you don't have to have a lot of training in this or be a member of peer support or team or whatever, just speak up and say something. That's my biggest thing is to speak up and say something.
1: Absolutely. So, guys, I really appreciate you guys coming here. This was Can awesome. Can share a number? Uh, uh, absolutely. I'm yeah, sorry. go ahead. No, no, you're good.
2: So, I just, before we go, I want to share a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-TALK, and TALK is 8255. So, 1-800-273-8255. So, if you ever come across someone in crisis, a friend, co-worker, or anyone you want to help. Get pick up that phone, make that dial that number, and put them in touch with someone right away.
1: Got anything, Fred? No, think uh, Chief. Coming. Yeah, Chief. Sorry. Soon to be, <laughs> soon to be Chief. Not yet. Uh, I really appreciate both of you coming on. I, I, seriously, this is this has been great, uh, and the per- perspective that you all bring is, uh, you know, it, you, you can't get it without being having years in the service, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. Any comments you have, especially folks that are you know not from the Eastern Shore, uh, while well, the Eastern uh, yeah seaboard, the seaboard of uh, the United States that are across the country, I'd love to hear how you all tackle your. Uh, uh, mental health um, for first responders, folks from uh, you know our listenership in Australia and in the UK, uh, other places around the globe. I'd love to see how you all attack because uh, uh, we all have the common human experience, right? Absolutely. Uh, and uh, no matter border, creed, you know, nationality, uh, we we have similar traumas and similar emergencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, as my JV football coach said, we are always on defense, right? That's right. Uh, Absolutely. And, and, and we are always working from behind as emergency professionals. So. Uh, Thank you so much. Be sure to follow us on um, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. uh, If you have any comments, email us, admin at alertmedic1 alertmedic1.com. We really appreciate you all listening in. Uh, That's all for now. You've been listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner.